Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I am the founding director of the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. And we're on a mission to build a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. Part of that is making sure that everybody has access to some of the best and brightest in the business and a broad range of topics with people from a broad range of industries. And today, we're talking GovTech. And in case you're not uh, familiar with our cool lingo, and yes, I just used the word lingo, Charles, if that's all right. <laughs> we're talking about government technology. And so I'm going to start with, uh, we have Sumeya's back. It's so good to, to have our co-host back this week. And we have two uh, fantastic guests with experience in building government technology as product managers. And I was going to do my best at it, but Sumeya, can you tell the audience a little bit about why anybody should care about GovTech, even if they're not already in GovTech? Or I don't know, just why is this conversation important to more than just the th uh, four of us today on stage? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, most large companies in the US, uh, they're either service providers to the government or software providers to the government or partners with the government. So one way or the other, even if it's not in your role, your company has something to do with the government from the perspective of collaboration or even just complying with the regulation. And so having insights into how some part, that part of the industry works or that part of our world works can be very helpful. So yeah, excited for us to share experiences from that world. Oh, and Samaya, I'm so glad that I asked you because what I was going to make up in my head of why it's important was nowhere near as powerful as the fact that every company probably has a product, or not every company, but most companies have a product that could serve government users. And then Charles, I want to call on you as well to expand upon that because I know government tech is not just a space where you know the big companies and the tech companies are could serve the government, but also the government. Can you talk a little bit about? Absolutely, because like Samaya's lead in, I think, was a great one. It's, it makes so much sense from the technology and software provider perspective, but also like, let's say, and, and just so everyone, how I contextualize, like I build software at Autodesk. That's my daytime job, but in my evening and weekend job, I'm a major in the U.S. Army. I'm a lead technology and product advisor to the Army's HR Command and in that side, like what is the citizen experience, right? You know, what is their digital end user experience? What are the challenges in that space? You know, and how does that work? I'm gonna I'm gonna give an example that I think is gonna resonate for a lot of people here. Let's look at like the immigrant experience, right? Like, how do you interact with the State Department? Like, if you're in that process, is it clear? Do you understand what's next? Like, I think we can all agree that the infrastructure around that is two to three generations behind. Imagine if we could provide a seamless and understandable digital experience in a use case like that and what a monumental impact it would have. So that's kind of my case for why this matters uh, also on the government side. And practically, let's say on the government representing the buyer right now, let's say we buy all these great things that Kashaf, Smea, and other PMs create. How do we bring it together seamlessly to create a delightful and easy end user experience across that, that people can consume? And we're not going to be able to do that unless we also have great product management within our federal government space. All right. Well said. And so, Charles, we're going to get back to you in a moment and find out who you are uh, since you just dove right into it. But I, I do want to hear from Keshav. Uh, anything to add to what's important about this conversation or otherwise, if they've said it already, just tell us a little bit about your journey in product management and your, your kind of experience that you have. I think this space is even more interesting and exciting because in my opinion, like GovTech is probably the last frontier of innovation. It is, you know, the private sector, as we all know, has like a, has been very receptive and open to new technologies. But really in our day-to-day -day life, we kind of take it for granted how much civic technology touches us in almost every aspect of, you know, our day-to-day -day living. In that regard, like GovTech is truly like it offers us the ability to not just, you know, use the latest and greatest in the private sector, uh, private sector to, you know, like to build innovative products in the government, but also make a huge impact as it relates to the community at large. So that's what 
is really exciting about uh, the GovTech product management space and some background on who I am. So I'm Keshav. I lead product management at this company called Prepared. Prepared is built for 911. We are a VC-backed company that provides next generation technologies for 911 dispatchers and first responders to get instant eyes on scene through really like any caller's phone by giving the ability for callers in an emergency to almost like FaceTime with 911. We also allowed 911 dispatchers and field responders to communicate with anyone and everyone through you know, unlimited translation power text, the ability to do real-time texting to communicate with people with disabilities. And all of this information is shared with first responders like police, fire, and EMS so that they can save as many lives as possible. We've grown pretty rapidly. We are in about 12% of all of the United States PSAPs or, or, or 911 dispatch centers use prepared. Prior to Prepared, and at Prepared, I lead the entire product management, product design, and product marketing department. Prior to Prepared, I have worked in the dev tech space. So companies like SmartBear, where I built the Swagger technology or the performance testing ecosystem. And I've also worked in the DevSecOps industry. All right. Love the enthusiasm of this panel and the experience that's on here. This is fantastic. Charles, a huge contributor to the Product Management Center community, a mentor in the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator one-time speaker, maybe two-time speaker at the Inclusive Product Management Summit. But tell us more about yourself, Charles. What's your experience that people should be paying attention to? Well, one, Jeff, I'm glad you haven't gotten tired of me yet. I, so I think one thing I would say, it's great to see all these folks here and a lot of these folks in the audience that I know that are really interested in this. So it's just great seeing you here. You know, before I came into tech, into the sector to be product manager, a job I love. I spent a decade in public service. I was a kindergarten teacher and I was a fifth grade math teacher and I was an active duty army officer and I'm still a reserve army officer. So, you know, those experiences really molded me. And also, you know, like those are both spaces. Like I see some of my folks here in ed tech and we could tell you like, <laughs> this has been a space, public education that has been a bit resistant to adopting modern technology tools and, and products and in the defense space, similarly so, right? So it really speaks to, I think, what Kashaf is talking about. There's a lot of opportunity for incredible impact. And then the other thing I want to add to this is like, you know, there's that great quote where it's like, do we want the most brilliant minds of our generation trying to do better targeted ads so you buy sneakers, right? Or I see what I sense like is we have a lot of great technologists that really want to solve problems and challenges that affect us as humans and as citizens too, and GovTech, this is a space where you can have the opportunity to do that. So that's my pitch, Jeff. All right, we'll take it. And uh, Sumeya, it seems like every time we have any sort of like niche, like, oh, government tech or fintech or healthcare tech, you've got an experience in there. Can you talk a little bit about GovTech and any other challenges that haven't come forth already that could be exciting and or frustrating as you're building government technology? Yeah, I think like the fundamental challenge, at least to me as a practitioner who has worked across different uh, industries, has always been like, the slow movement of innovation or even just catching up that government tech tends to have. There are, of course, certain pockets that are cutting edge. They're secret. We don't even know about them. And that's great. But then what's visible to the majority of us and where you would find maybe 90% of the product management roles are in things that take a long time to come to fruition. And so uh, beyond what Charles and Kshav have already shared, I think a, a very important thing to talk about today is around the mindset. And what can someone learn in working within a GovTech or within a government agency that would be different than what they would learn somewhere, but just as powerful and important in their growth as a PM? Keshav, any other challenges that haven't come to light that you would want to forewarn somebody developing government tech, challenges that are either exciting or, or troublesome? Yeah, I would say uh, there's a lot of not challenges, let's say, but just things to be aware of. I think the number one of the few things that come to mind is, you know, in the, in the private sector, especially in the SaaS world, if there are people who are coming from the SaaS world or are eager to get into the SaaS world, there's a lot of like the high velocity SaaS ecosystem that exists where you where the feedback cycle is much more shorter, right? Like you develop something and you can run a quick A-B test. And then maybe put it on your marketing website and then very immediately, very quickly, because of the way the procurement cycle is where a lot of B2B buyers or B2C buyers do the trial and buy motion on the website, you can test potential value. 
or there's like other ways to test potential value too, right? Like, you know, you could like develop something really quickly as an MVP and put it out there and see how many, how, how it sticks, whether like prospects are going to the sales opportunity pipeline. The sales cycle and the procurement cycle is a lot different in B2G. And that is just something to, it's not necessarily, I would say a challenge. It's more so of like, one, it's a place for for potential PMs to just be aware of. And two, it's also an opportunity for new product innovators and product leaders to start to evangelize better frameworks that fit the mold of how you can develop for B2G. And Charles, just in case we missed anything, anything to add? Just reflecting what Krishaf and Sameo is talking about, mindset and barrier to scale and growth. Like some folks that know me, the, the first digital use case I worked on was I was the first classroom use case for Khan Academy when I was a math teacher. And I had 120 students, this was over 10 years ago, across five or six different math levels, right? 10 to 11. And that was a tool that wasn't designed for classroom use yet, but I was trying to figure it out to serve all the students because I couldn't prepare all the materials. And they found me because I was the biggest super user by IP address and said, hey, will you help us think about a classroom use case for this? And it's astounding to me that 10 years later, instruction has largely not changed in classrooms, right? Just as an example of the slowness of the space. And I think that the challenge we can have is like, anyone that talks to me, I'm going to try to get them excited about this space. But then they'll ask, is it really going to open up or is it really going to change and become more dynamic in the way like the SaaS model that Kashav said? And it's a fair question to ask. Jeff, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, of whether you think this space is really going to accelerate over the next 12 to 24 months. You know, I'm in learning mode here. I actually have really not a a lot of perspective as to whether, you know, the same things that have slowed down government tech is going to continue going forward or whether this is a green pasture, a blue ocean, a a big chance for accelerated growth. Samir, what do you think? Is this, are we going to, is Keshav and Charles's optimism that this is a a real cool opportunity and really going to see some accelerated changes here? Or do you think uh, the patterns are going to persist? Mm, I don't know if 12 or 24 months is, you know, the horizon I would look at if I'm trying to find optimism. And the reason I say that is because I have been in the middle, I've worked with some very, very innovative pockets within the government, you know, where software was delivered, just like at the most innovative companies. But then I come out of that little pocket of innovation and I look around me and it's surrounded by friction and by, for example, how funding is uh, achieved and approvals and all of that. And so none of that has changed. That big bureaucratic beast that makes up the government, you know, the paper shuffling one, that hasn't changed. And so you're going to continue finding pockets of innovation surrounded by all that fat and slowness and, you know, negative stuff that all of us can imagine. And thinking that the small innovative stuff are going to overtake that, it seems completely unrealistic to me. But always, always optimistic that there are innovators within the government. You know, you look at the the U.S. digital service, for example, you look at certain software factories within DOD, they are, they have supporters and sponsors and stalwart protectors and partners. And those are the ones that I will keep looking at and encouraging people to spend more energy and time in. And so I don't know how to ask this, especially since your experiences are different, but I'm, I'm curious if there's how much of a difference is there trying to be an innovator within the government? So I think, Charles, with your experience within the army and Keshav uh, versus Keshav's experience uh, as the government, as a client or as a customer. And Samay, I believe, actually not sure, just to clarify, was the government your customer or were you kind of uh, on project working within the government? I've done both uh, within, uh, for example, USAID, the U.S. Agency for International Development, and I've been a government contractor within the DOD, specifically Space Force and Air Force. Space Force. Awesome. All right. Which is probably the coolest name, I think. So so Sumaya gets the, the victory for the, the coolest name of responsibility working with Space Force. But aside from that, I want to hear from all of you what you think or maybe just share your thoughts on what it's like with the government as a customer versus working within the government. Any similarities or differences? Since Sumaya mentioned the software factory, I can start with that because I, I totally agree with those examples, Sumaya. And it's great to celebrate examples. I would also add that, you know, the IRS 
innovation team has made a huge impact on the end user experience over the last 36 months to those two. But yeah, Army Software Factory, you know, and I'm in the same category too. Like they learn amazing skills, software development, lifecycle, solutions, problems that affect soldiers, solutions delivered by soldiers. We don't have formal job descriptions or job families for them, right? right? So they'll learn all these skills, but product manager, data scientist, full stack dev, low code, no code dev, but all these roles don't exist for us. Me, myself, yeah, I'm a, a product manager advisor to this, but if you find me in the DoD database, they consider me an intelligence officer. So as an example of that, I've been a forever major. I should be a lieutenant colonel, but there's simply not a product manager role that exists in uniform right now. So that would be, that's a barrier. I can do this, Jeff and team, because I have a great tech job and my wife supports me, but like, it's not, there's no current career progression to be in this role. Keshav, any, anything to share from your experience with the government as a customer and see how that relates to Samea's and Charles' experience uh, working within the government? Yeah, I think um, what I have noticed is, you know, when you think of the government, you ask, and this is, I have this, it, I have been working in Prepared for about two years now. And prior to Prepared, all of my experience has been developing products in the private sector. And one of the big questions I had before joining, you know, or building products for the government was, well, when you think of the government, what are the first few words that come to mind? Lethargic, slow, they take their time with things, bureaucratic, right? Those are the typical words. And those are not words that excite you as someone who, uh, you know, wants to be in the innovation space, right? What surprised me so much working in, you know, working with uh, in, in, a, in an industry or in a company where the end user was primarily the government was just how much of an appetite there was to adopt new technology. The reason for that, and this is the opportunity that this space presents, and I'm being as unbiased as I can be, I have never had an easier time doing customer discovery in all of my lifetimes as a product management as I have working at Prepared. The people in the 911 dispatch ecosystem, the first responder ecosystems, they are, they are just so used to having really bad products, unfortunately, that they are so surprised that there's someone like, you know, in the product management space who's like constantly like asking them, tell me more. How are you going about your day-to-day? What's the ideal outcome you're looking for? What's the gap in the current product or the gaps in the in, in the way you're doing things right now? And the amount of times they'll just be like, yeah, I'll jump on a call with you is, is, is staggering and phenomenal. So why I state this is customer, dis- because of the way products had been built traditionally in the government space, a lot of people, especially buyers and users, are much more receptive to product people doing deep, in-depth discovery. And I think the reason why also like bad products have, or not, or like products that were not necessarily as well thought out have been present in the government space is primarily because of the sales cycle. What I mean by that is if you have a long sales cycle, let's say a 12, 15, 20-month sales cycle, what ends up happening is you will have to prioritize revenue over innovation which means like you will try to cram up as many features as you can in that product so that you can get the biggest deal possible because you have to wait 15, 20 months for that deal. What ends up happening is you can imagine like the uh, over time, you're going to start to build up a Frankenstein-like product that eventually you've kind of like, you start to lose out on the core value proposition that the product originally sold for. So I think those are like some observations I've had working with the government as a client. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to say something quick on that, Jeff. Kashab, like I totally agree. Everything you said about customer discovery, often when you find a real friction point and let that end user know, like I see this and I see how terrible it is, it's almost a religious experience for them because they've been living with it and trying to communicate up about it and nothing happens. And, and it really shows the power of impact that is potential to get this right. Another thing that I agree to, because I've been talking about the sales lifecycle, is unfortunately then sometimes our, our software vendor partners, like that becomes the retirement account in terms of who partners with us in government because they know it's not very dynamic and it's kind of operating the way that Kashav talks about. And that just breaks my heart <laughs> that we become the retirement account for the software provider. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think the... The idea or the the moat, the moat that government accounts have around them, whether from relationships or 
from just the fact that they take so long to approve. And once they're approved, there are so many hoops to go through. Create some barriers to entry for small players or, let's say, more innovative players. But beyond that, I think there's also, we've been talking about government as this, like, one homogeneous entity. But I think from what Kirchhoff, for example, was uh, highlighting, when you're thinking about local governments, you're thinking about state governments, you know, different levels of government, some of the overall themes that we talk about might not be true. So, I mean, I encourage people to explore opportunities. If you are interested in government, explore opportunities and find out uh, within agencies or even different levels of the government if there are pockets that would be more interesting to you. Totally. I want to like, and again, I'm not on Salesforce's payroll. I'm not even a shareholder here, but I think the investment they're making in public sector, you know, and Dr. Ayer Raj Ayer was my CIO on the army side before, and he leads public sector now. That is entirely, I think, his approach to Maya, that pragmatic, all right, where are the partners? Can we find them to automate workflows? And I, I do see them having progress, which makes me excited. Not from a vendor preference perspective, from a preference of dynamic, agile solutions coming into government. All right, we're going to get to audience questions and comments in just a moment. So audience, you can start raising your hand now. We'll get you up on stage and uh, call upon you after uh, this question. So feel free to raise your hand. We'd love to have you a part of this uh, How to Succeed in Product Management podcast. First, I want to give the audience some tangible takeaways. So if this audience, anybody who is interested in government tech. We've talked with valuable insights and, and context here, but is there any tangible bite-sized takeaway that you want to make sure we get the audience to know that they could action if they're either trying to get into government tech or they're already in it and uh, trying to do well in it? So one tangible bite-sized recommendation from everybody. Who wants to go first? I'll go. <laughs> Just, I think one key takeaway, I would say, not all government is the same. And if you are interested in working uh, for the government, do, do some research about the, the agencies you're interested in and find exactly the group that has a little more innovation or more of the speed you're interested in. But that actually doesn't mean we all have to want to work in high energy, high velocity spaces. You might just want to work in an area where the, the impact and the mission resonates with you. So don't take any anything, for example, you hear from me about the speed not being high, etc., to deter you from that. I think it's a highly honorable thing to do, and I encourage people to give government a second look. Everything that Samea said, and a specific actionable one, I would say, and this kind of reminds me, Jeff, of how we do the IPMA application, is... All of you all, you know, here live or listening, when you have a, a citizen digital experience, you know, your end user in a government tech space, that could be the DMV, you know, it could be getting a visa renewed, etc., that you think could be better and how it could be better to write about it on LinkedIn and add me, add others that care, and I will respond in comments. Like, so both of the use cases that I've done at a high level in government, that's how I came into it, is because somebody brought me in a conversation on this medium, and then it brought me to the attention of other leaders that are like, hey, what would Charles's view be on this? I think, Jeff, that's how we found the Product Management Center, too. So share, like, hey, this is a bad experience. This is how I would do it differently, and connect with the people here that want to solve challenges in the civic space because we will create momentum and a coalition through each other. Yeah, and I'll, I'll mention one a small point in addition to what Samia and Charles just mentioned, which is just the opportunity in this space, right? Like Charles mentioned an interesting point, which is, you know, we are interacting with so many touch points from the government, right? Like be it like license renewals or like, you know, going to go get a visa for like when visiting a foreign country, so many other aspects like that. I think as it relates to any career, ultimately, at the end of the day, we want to put food on the table and simultaneously want to feel fulfilled. And that's the interesting part. I think I've seen over the last five, seven years alone, a lot more private companies actually innovating for the government. 
and I say this because that this this essentially means there's a lot more appetite from VCs, be it you know, and like there's like traditional investors as well as like forward-thinking venture capitalists, capital firms, all investing in uh, GovTech-based uh, products. Like I know, for example, at Prepared, Google and M13 and First Round are the investors of some of the investors of Prepared, and primarily because there's so much more appetite for traditional investors to develop for the government just because of how mission critical it is. For future product people, this is something I learned the hard way and maybe this is useful for you guys. Uh, I reached that point in my career where I came to the conclusion that for product managers to succeed, fundamentally, you have to feel passionate, not about the mission, not about the paycheck or even the challenges that the company offers, fundamentally, it is about the the problem, the foundational problem that the the product you are building for solves. And the reason for that is every single day, a product person is going to be faced with ambiguity. You are going to be faced with the ambiguity of determining what is the best thing to build for the company? What is the best thing to build for the audience that you're serving? And how do you prioritize in a way that makes sense for the business as well as for the end users? How do you package this in a way that makes sense for the business and for the end users? How do you enable your sales team or your customer success team in a way that makes sense for the business and for the users. And those are tough challenges. And ultimately, you want to feel like you care deeply about the problem so that you can push yourself and face that ambiguity every single day in order to be your best self at work and ultimately have a very rewarding and fulfilling career. All right. So we haven't, we don't have any audience questions yet, but uh, if you have an audience question or comment, you could be up here on stage with these wonderful people. Until then, my question is a question, or asking for a question. Who has a question for each other? Charles, Samaya, Kishav, you all have different experience, and I'd love to see if you have a question for each other, trying to learn from each other. How many times can I say each other in one sentence? That's that's a test here. I have a question uh, for both Charles and Kishav. So I got this one from a mentee recently, And their question was, if I was to work for the government early in my career or versus later, which one should I pick? And their concern was on two fronts. The first one was the experience they would get and impact on their income. And they were asking, where do you think I should possibly do a government stint, you know, for a couple of years? So just curious about your own impressions or experience, if you were to recommend for an uh, an early PM or a young PM when they should be working for the government? Should it be early or later? Yeah, I can, um, I'll give you my subjective perspective and I'm very intrigued to hear what Charles also has to say over here. If they're early in their career, like one thing that has served me well has been in your 20s, wherever you are in your in your career, right? Whenever you're starting, could be 30s, 40s, 20s. If it's, If you're new to the PM world, I would say one of the mindsets is always like being very comfortable with change and trying to expose yourself to as many different, almost like frameworks, methodologies, industries as possible. And the ultimate reason you want to do that is to find one, your niche niche, and also figure out what you're good at. And uh, the last thing, or more importantly, you also want to figure out is what you're not good at. Once you figure those three things out, you can then in your in the mid stages of your career, really hone in on the specific places where you're really good at and then continue to go from there. Why I say this is, you know, I learned, I thrive in companies, for example, where there's like, you know, almost like a, an amalgamation of product and revenue centricity and less so of like companies where there's not necessarily a public facing product. That's something which I learned the hard way in some ways too. So I uh, applying this to the question you have, Sumeya, over here, I would say it's less about, you know, when they want to work on GovTech based products as long as they have this uh, this mindset to say, you know, whatever company I pick, let's try to like accelerate as, uh, to learning as many different frameworks and methodologies as possible. The one thing you don't want is like, and I've seen this depending again on the industry they're, they're working on, sometimes, you know, people will want to work at least in the government world for the pension. I have seen this firsthand with some people who want that, right? Uh, if they're working straight, uh, and I don't know if product managers get that same pension, but what that will come at the cost of is like, you'll want to spend 20, 25 years working in that specific sector in order to get that pension, which is great. You absolutely should prioritize that. But if your goal is to like say, hey, I want to get exposed to as many different points of innovation as possible, then maybe you want to have that GovTech experience later in your career so that you could almost like, 
work in that company or work in that agency and then try to stay there for as long as possible. So that's like one, maybe one way of like thinking about this question, but I'm curious to see how Charles thinks about this. Jeff, I'm going to have a hot take. I'm speaking as Charles right now. I'm not speaking for the army or for my public sector. This is, this is just me. You know, when I came in as a lieutenant in the army, the defense was still a leading technology player, U.S. defense. So I had access to emerging technology and skills. That is just not my assessment today. These The private sector tech industry has, if you look at most investment, let's look at generative AI as an example, right? If that were 20 years ago, 30, 40 years ago around the internet, that would be much more government. Look at Starlink and Elon Musk's leadership of that. That's also not in the government space. So right now, it's a different value proposition than when I entered the labor market because government has fallen significantly behind in a lot of leading innovation. That said, I would, going back to Sameo's question, I would go to what Kashaf said, what problems are you most passionate about solving as a human? And do you have an opportunity to step into federal service and be adjacent or be a part of emerging technology as a PM? And I know we have one of our US Digital Core fellows here in the audience, Jamie, who's like made that choice. And I think that is absolutely is an amazing choice to make. And I support it 100%. Now, if the alternative is a government job, where it's a more industrial status quo, like clerical data entry, and maybe you move up into management one day, please skip that and find something that involves emerging technology. All right. So, Samaya, you get the the victory for not only Space Force, uh, but also for being the first to throw out a question. Audience, we're, we're waiting. We're ready for you. But Charles or Keshav, do you have a question for uh, the rest of the panel here? I know some of our audience folks, this might be your first time in our medium so you might be getting used to it. Okay, and just saying that, I see Jamie raised her hand. So so yeah, you, if you see the little button there, if you're joining us for the first time, we're, we're happy to welcome you into the podcast. All right, so this is where uh, Red, who is our founding advisory board of the Product Management Center at the University of Washington, he usually steals the show. I don't know, I can't bring it. Sumeya, do you think you could bring that same level of energy and enthusiasm and banter as we welcome uh, Jamie here to the stage? Why are you setting me up like that? <laughs> That's just not right. <laughs> it's like there's high no expectations. I can't meet them. Can you? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> but welcome, Jamie. Thank you. Um, I greatly appreciate what you guys are doing and uh, extremely excited to hear about GovTech. As Charles mentioned, I'm very new, so I am uh, anxious to really learn. I do have a question and I know we talked a lot about, uh, you know, innovation, but what are some strategies or best practices that you all have found effective in bridging that gap between these innovative tech solutions and then the often complex regulatory procurement processes within government agencies? Someone that's like me that, you know, kind of emerging through this field, how can I really contribute to this effort? All right. Thank you, Jamie, for joining us on stage. Great question. Anybody have follow-up or clarifying questions? I'll give a quick take on this because I've, within the federal side, some of the ideas that I've worked on are in production as products. Now, Jamie and I always said this is a big difference from putting my Silicon Valley PM hat on uh, versus public. On the public sector side, you always need an elder that has been in that system for a long time and knows everybody, knows where the real centers of power, don't, don't listen to the org chart when you're on the public sector side, <laughs> and knows what it takes to actually get something through to ally with you, Jamie. You need to find some of those and convert them. And because they'll tell you how it actually works and what the actual roadmap to getting something into production is. In my Silicon Valley tech jobs, that's like the org chart has more or less been the org chart. That's just not been true of the public sector spaces. Anyone else uh, have clarifying questions of Jamie or want to share some perspective? I'm curious, Jamie, in your role and the U.S. Digital Service, I haven't worked with it, but I have a lot of respect for what it stands for and their ability to bring in some great minds from the tech world into the government. So I am curious about what attracted you to it and what you're finding to be the most rewarding part of it. Sure, I'll be happy to answer. So the program that I'm in is similar to the U.S. Digital Services, but it's uh, called the U.S. Digital Core. It's aimed more for early career technologists, 
um, and recent graduates. So I have a, a few years of professional experience, including the military, did a lot of like proje- um, product adjacent work, um, some PO work, um, and then decided that I wanted to dr- transition over to um, product management and then found this opportunity right around the time that I had finally finished my degree. And it really aligned because I wanted to push more towards mission oriented work was really uh, driven by like impact. And it ended up really aligning with it, especially with the agency that I'm in. Yeah. Jamie, will you let the folks know what you're supporting? Yes. I work within the Office of Refugee Resettlement on the Unaccompanied Children's Program. And back to that question that you asked Jeff or, or Samaya asked early in career. If you can improve that by 0.001%, that is 100% worth it, right? So that's the kind of challenges that only in that space will you have access to. All right. Jamie, did you get what you were hoping for? Do you have any follow-up questions of the group? No, Jamie's also one of ours. She's one of our fellows in the IPMA. I know. I track those. uh, People may not know this about me, but I obsessively track when people post about the Product Management Center. I get really excited. Uh, So (laughs) I did see Jamie's announcement. Great to have you here, Jamie, and glad to have you in the IPMA family. All right. So Jamie, we'll let you hang on stage to get some visibility or drop off if you'd like. But I want to hear from Keshav. Any other bite-sized takeaways or or pieces of advice you'd give to people aspiring to be getting a government tech or people who are already in it? Yeah, I would um, honestly, folks, like one is just like the excitement of the space has like I've come from the private sector and I have never felt more fulfilled uh, working in the GovTech space just because knowing that, you know, as Charles said, like even the smallest improvement can just have like tenfolds of dividends because of the way it impacts the community at large in terms of like expectation setting. And, you know, this is coming from like working at from the private sector or like just people in general, consumers exposed to like the latest and greatest of technology, like your iPhone right now has more compute than the spacecraft that was sent to the moon in the 60s by NASA. You have to like level set your expectation, depending on the the level of the government that you're either servicing or working indirectly, the, the technology that they may have would either surprise you positively or negatively. You always wanna meet your end users where they're at. So really forming that baseline, and this is in general something that has served me well in the product management space because as it relates to customer empathy, really deeply understanding where they're at currently as it relates to the core outcome that they care about, figuring out what are the systems that they currently have as it relates to meeting those outcomes and figuring out why they haven't adopted, let's say, the latest and greatest of technology to accelerate towards that outcome will help you form that baseline that you can then work around and figure out how best you want to start to introduce innovation. A lot of times, like, you know, this is maybe like company best practice. So sometimes companies will start to aspire towards uh, bringing about radical change. And as humans, you, you probably know this too, we are kind of averse to change. We don't want change very quickly. And so you always want to like try to like introduce change very slowly and trying to like bring that change in such a way that it meets the objective outcome that the end users in the government space care about. And that's a function of you know, the legal legal concerns they may have, the technological systems that they're used to, like the outdated nature of some of these systems might surprise you. It might be a function of, you know, like other outcomes that you may not even hear of, like things like, for example, you know, there's some of these people you're working with the government might be incentivized to, you know, hold office. And that might be an election cycle that they care about. And so the, the incentives that that they think about could be dramatically different than the incentives you're thinking about in the private sector. So that's just something to keep in mind is having that base level set of expectations. And you can figure that out by doing deep, diligent discovery. Like really quickly, Kashaf, if you ever have a product idea that you're interested in the Army HR department, write me here because I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by your thinking, brother. I'd love to like uh, catch up with you, Charles, after this. And that's the magic of the Product Management Center, bringing people together, helping each other, uh, lifting as we climb. Sumeya, Anything else that hasn't been covered that you think is an actionable piece of advice or statement that could change uh, somebody's trajectory in the audience here? (laughs) That seems like a harder question than it is at face value. The reason I say that is because the stuff that I think are always hard are the, the mindset shifting things. 
And so if you're excited to be in a role, you're usually going to try to find people around you you're going to learn from, you're going to soak it up, you're going to find energy where none can be found in normal days. But if you're not excited to work for the government, you're going to notice all the things broken. I'm saying this because I've had both mindsets, working with one agency versus the other. And I remember one of my mentors in the one that I did, in the role I did enjoy, uh, sat me down and said, Sumeya, when you're working for government, speed is not the most important thing. Managing risk is the most important thing. And at the time, I just thought about managing risk in terms of, oh, if you deliver something to constituents that doesn't work, that's like a huge risk. There, it's going to be in the newspapers. But the risk takes many, many different forms. Sometimes it's because the person, the officer in charge of the funding, they have a certain set of incentives that they need to worry about, you know, a promotion cycle that's coming up, or the person uh, who's responsible for writing the business case that supports your product has a different set of competing priorities. And so to me, at least when I worked within the government, I had to worry a lot more about understanding the incentives of different people. And so what Kashav was saying just a few minutes ago about that, I think is an extremely important point. It has so many layers to it. It's not just first degree effects. There are secondary and third degree ones that you don't necessarily see, and they have a long-term impact to them. So, for example, within the industry, let's say our promotion cycles are annual, a lot of people within the, within the government, the roles last for a few years or many more months. And so their perspective and their timeline and yours need to align sometimes. Those are the things I worry about. Yeah, one thing I want to, what Samia is talking about, the speed and the risk, and going back to Jamie's question too, like advice to get things done is being realistic about how far away are you from presidential power? Because I've been in spaces in government where we found solutions really quickly, really dynamically, and all vendors were at the table and could go quickly. Within defense, sometimes our special operations communities have those kinds of agility. And another example I'd give of that is I would say the most impactful product of the last 10 years is probably the COVID vaccine, which is part of the government space. I know it's not a software product, but it's, so I'd say how close and how much does the president care about this or Congress care about this? Those are reliable indicators often of the speed of production that you're going to be able to work with because there are special authorities around vendor where they can move really quickly, but the default is super slow. So that's one criteria I'd add. I'm multitasking, trying to welcome our guest here and unmute myself, and I failed. But uh, Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. The reminder, this is recorded and put out as the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast. Love to have you here. Tell us uh, what do you want to share or what do you want to ask of our group here? Yeah. Thanks so much for having me and thanks so much for your insights, everyone. I really appreciate it. Would love to know. I'm always interested in hearing about what people use to stay up to date on the news they're interested in, specifically, you know, in GovTech product space. So I'd love to pose that question to everyone. Like, what are some resources, some newsletters or podcasts? Obviously, this one probably <laughs> that you uh, that you listen to or read uh, to stay up to date to things. Who wants to take that one or ask a clarifying question? One of my favorite sources of insights about what's working uh, and what's making an impact in government is something very counterintuitive, but it's the annual reports of large software companies who tend to sell to the government. Those annual reports a lot of times talk about what they did and the impact they had. I haven't been able to find that kind of detail and information on any other site that's you know completely focused on the government as a whole. When I was, for example, with Space Force, there were very specific aerospace publications that would talk about specific launches or technologies that were being worked on. So I, I, I read those, but those were the two I found helpful. I think um, the, one of the first things I do when I join a new company is make a list of all the competitors that exist and put Google news alerts. <laughs> that has always helped. So I know it's like not a direct like, hey, 
you know, like it's a podcast or a specific thing, but you'll be, you'll be surprised just how much you can learn from both direct competitors as well as like products that complement your existing product or the product you're going to be managing. Uh, there's nuggets of wisdom there because they're always like releasing new updates, new blog posts and so on. Um, specific to product or just like keeping tabs on what the government government's up to, there's like specific web sources. I really enjoy reading Axios' newsletters. Axios has a bunch of different verticals like the healthcare space. There's one for the government as well. And they do a really good job that at least I have seen that of being very unbiased about reporting on what's happening in technology and government as a whole. And they have a re- really nice bite-sized digestible newsletter that goes out, I believe, once every other day or so. There's like a frequency that they follow. The book that has really inspired the way I think is uh, Inspired by Marty Kagan. It's a really good book. That alongside the Jobs to be Done uh, framework, there's like free PDFs about Jobs to be Done framework that um, you know, talks about how to use that framework. Uh, that has also helped me uh, in, in, in informing my thinking. And last, another quick uh, newsletter that comes to mind is there's a GovTech newsletter. That is also pretty pretty valuable to, to take a look. I think the website is just called GovTech, and they have a really nice newsletter that goes out every week. Hey, Karen, I'm going to double down on what I said before is finding those inspiring folks that are doing things in this space and adding them or following them on LinkedIn and then joining the conversation. Like, you know, Samaya was talking about the Army Software Factory and we have the US Digital Core. We also have the, was it US Digital, the, the other one that, that Jamie was talking about, the founders, you can follow them to the head of innovation at the Army HRC Command, who's like my, who I work with. Colonel Chris Sailing is a really inspiring follow. Like I, I said, Raj Iyer, who leads public sector for ServiceNow and was the CIO of the US Army. There's a lot out there. And then join the conversation. Like my content here on LinkedIn, it's in three buckets. One, it's about Autodesk. I love Autodesk. I love the employee experience there. I see my people here from Autodesk in the audience. Two, it's an inclusive product management accelerator in the product management center with Jeff. And three, it's on GovTech or DoD innovation. So join the conversation. And that's a great way to build connections because we're building the coalition and eventually this coalition will serve in government. That is my prediction. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for coming on stage. Really appreciate your contribution to the conversation. Let's see if we can do this super fast. We have one more person we like. This is what it's all about is serving the people here. Hello. If you could real fast get to your question, we have about two minutes for the to get both the question and the answer done, but we're glad to have you here on stage. Sarala, what could we do to help so I had a question and this was, um, I mean, I have a um, experience in consulting and I've also had experience in public sector. So, uh, you know, we've done uh, a lot of projects through the consulting firm for government, you know, different departments within the government. So I was wondering if anyone here, like Keisha or Charles or Samia, anybody know, know what's, what is the difference? Like what type of differences do you see between the projects that are being done by consulting companies like Accenture and Deloitte and the type of work that a product company uh, like your guys, um, you know, like your firms do? Oh, that's a great question. Maybe I can take a stab at this. One, I think, is like the consulting companies try to like take, uh, let's say the agencies have a specific problem, like a common theme of, let's say, an Accenture like company could be like digital transformation. So let's say they have like, you know, like something, like a, a theme around like this, pro- this specific problem or like we want to go multi-cloud or things like that. What a consulting company could do is like they could say, okay, that's the core of that problem. Let's try to figure out all the different products that exist in our portfolio or the products that we, you know, like have an expertise in. And let's try to figure out how we can solve this using all of these different problems, products and problems. I think the scope of a consulting engagement could be pretty large as a result. I think in a in, in a product-based company, and this is my subjective view, you're honing in on a very specific set of problems and you're trying to figure out one, can your existing product serve the need in order to solve those problems and figure out what is the gap in your current product to meet the needs of your of your target audience in order to result in either innovation in your existing product or resulting in or create new new product lines in the future. So that's like my subjective view of how you can start to think about the difference between a product-centric company and a consulting company. I'll go really quick because I know Jeff wants to close out so we can hear from Samea too. The, the biggest difference I see is like, let's say Kashaf or Samea have a great technical solution software to sell. 
our ability to integrate that into, let's say, my company Autodesk quickly and realize value to the end user is pretty quick. On the government side, because we don't have those capabilities, those technological capabilities, we don't know how to realize value, even if you're selling us the most amazing thing to our end users. And that's where we need to draw on a lot of consultants to bring those capabilities in-house. And I wish that we could grow some of those capabilities like the U.S. Digital Core is doing in-house. All right, rapid fire answers. And then Sumeya, you've got to go on the dot, I'm sure. So what would you like to conclude with? What do you want to leave the audience with? A couple of things. I think that we highlighted the differences between government and you know industry, but also uh, I think there are lots of people who have had other experiences. So feel free to reach out to people who are working within areas of impact you're interested in. The advice you got so far from Charles and Kashav about talking to people on the ground who are doing this work, I think is right on the point. So uh, good luck with that. All right. Thank you, Samaya. It's so good to have you back. And Sarala, thank you for the question. Sorry, I had to do that out of order because I wanted to be sensitive to Samaya had to run. So thanks for the question. And then Charles and Keshav, we're out of time, but did you want to concluding thoughts? The floor is yours. And if you've got to run, no worries, but uh, concluding thoughts from either of you or both of you? I'll give my uh, plug again. I believe we're building a coalition of solving challenges in public, civic, and global spaces, and we're going to do it together. So let's be connected to each other. So please connect with me, reach out if this is your passion area. I'd love to be in this coalition with you. Likewise, echoing Charles's statements and also like echoing the fact that this, this space, civic technology presents a lot of opportunities for the next set of builders that the world is going to see. And there's a lot of local chapters beyond private or gov tech companies too. Like for example, Code for America is a, is a great example and they have chapters in different cities and counties too. So there's like opportunities to contribute as long as you're passionate about the problem. All right. And the two of you and Samaya are passionate about the problem. So, so grateful to have you here uh, sharing that passion and expertise with everybody. And thank you all for listening. We're off next week, but we will be back with our 100th episode on October 3rd with Felix Watson Jr., Diego Granados, and Shaivi Shi, three very influential product leaders. We're going to be talking about advancing in your PM career. And I can't wait to celebrate 100 episodes. The commitment that Samaya and Red have shown has been amazing and uh, energizing. So I'm excited to celebrate that with all of you who've been listening for the long time. So thank you for being here and we'll see you on October 3rd.